What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Xander Effect. I'm your host, Xander Dames. In entertainment news today, Comic-Con has been canceled for the first time since it started 50 years ago. We'll talk a little bit about that. In sports, looks like the NBA is going to be making some pay cuts due to the current crisis, so we'll talk a little bit about that. In video game news, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, looks like they, uh, the, the game developers have decided to make up for their little snafu last weekend and the whole double XP fiasco. We'll talk a little bit about how they mar- they're making up for it. And today I have an awesome guest, media mogul and co-founder of E-Entertainment Television, Larry Namer, uh, comes in and talks to me a little bit about how he got started in the industry, how the, the spectrum of the industry is changing, and about a series that's about to premiere very soon called Nova Vita, and how he's involved in that. So we'll talk a little bit to him about that. But before we get started, here is Jason's brand new song, Come With Me, right here on The Xander Effect. Slice no Kimbo, really miss that tempo. Oh, love Nintendo, get the bread, no bimbo. That's what you'll say, that's what she'll say. You run a game, no relay. These cheap dates like sweepstakes, cheesesteaks, and cheesecakes. Be great, no EJ. We fight, then we play. No cap, what's all that? Love a hit to go right back. This is love, get the fight back. No time, rewind that. You said you want to grow with me. Got it wrong, I'm molding me. Investigating, provoking me. Take a stand, no perjury. Dig deep, no surgery. What's worse than hurting me? Got it mapped so perfectly. It's a job, come work with me. Come with me, girl, you're so sweet. Run with me, I'll give you everything you need. Bad, I really miss that sound. Bad, I'll get it right now. Come with me. Run with me. Bad. Bad, I'll get it right now. I used to make you scream. Hercules, Hercules, your homegirls are hood rats. I'm trying to show you birds and bees. Get your league alone. Go ahead and spread your wings. I can see your tendencies. You're talking to my enemies. You ain't the girl I used to know. You're typical and usual. See you from a mile away. A needle in a stack of hate. Kobe Jordan featherway. I never let that hesitate. Middle finger levitate. You can let that marinate. I'll get it right now. Come with me, girl, you're so sweet. Run with me, I'll give you everything you need. Bad, I really miss that sound. Bad, I'll get it right now. Come with me, run with me. Bad, bad, I'll get it right now. That was Jay Suns, come with me right here on the Xander Effect. In entertainment news, Comic-Con has been officially canceled, which, you know, to be honest with you, it's no surprise to anybody. The current crisis of COVID-19 has uh, has made a lot of events canceled, Coachella, 
Burning Man, many concerts, sporting events, everything's been canceled so far. And it's no surprise that uh, that COVID-19 was going to cause uh, the annual event of Comic-Con to cancer to cancel for this year as well. Uh, it's been a, it started 50 years ago. It's 50 years in, of, of the in the making and unfortunately for the first time since it's uh, since it it started, it's officially canceled. Uh, the Comic-Con uh, members uh, members that, that throw the event released a statement saying, quote, recognizing that countless attendees save and plan for its conventions each year and how many exhibitors and stakeholders rely upon its event for a major portion of their livelihood. They have hoped to delay this decision in anticipation that COVID-19 concerns might lessen by summer. Continues monitoring of health advisories and recent statements by the governor of California have made it clear that it would not be safe to move forward with plans for this year. So basically, they're looking to reschedule it for next year. Um, uh, by, the, by the looks of it, they have a scheduled date, which is July 22nd through 25th of 2021. That's what's going on. That's that's pretty much what they've decided to do. Uh, another event that's also decided to cancel has been WonderCon that's, that is uh, held in Anaheim. They have also canceled their event, and they've also rescheduled their event for March 26th through 28th of 2021. So at this point, these events are no longer going to be for this year, which... Again, comes at no as no surprise, as also uh, Los Angeles Mayor Garcetti also said that in in a statement, in an announcement that he was considering banning all sporting events and all concerts, uh, all types of uh, large crowd gathering types of events until 2021. So, again, this situation has has caused many of these things to happen, and we'll see what happens uh, next year. Hopefully. Uh, the the current crisis will start lessening a little bit and maybe things might change but as it stands looks like a lot of major events will be slated until next year hopefully by next year things will calm down in other entertainment news bruce willis Demi Moore and the entire family have decided to quarantine with each other in Sun Valley, Idaho. And it seems that uh, many people are kind of raising an eyebrow as to why Bruce Willis is quarantining with his ex and his children from his previous marriage. And it, it doesn't, you know, they decided to go ahead and tell uh, Entertainment Tonight the reason why this is happening. Well, sources have told, uh, uh, direct sources have told uh, Entertainment Tonight as to why Bruce Willis has decided to quarantine with his ex Demi Moore and his children. And it, it is very simple. Apparently, according to sources, it's, they're saying, quote, he has a house directly across the street from Demi's house in Sun Valley. It's been for sale for years. He was visiting and his family was considering quarantining there. He got stuck because Sun Valley became one of the COVID-19 hotspots. So at the end of the day, he was out there and he got stuck. He basically got stuck uh, with his family. And it looks like his current wife, Emma, is okay because uh, 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 Bruce Willis is uh, currently married with uh, Emma Hemming. And it seems that Emma's okay with uh, Bruce staying with his ex. And she's fine with it. According to many sources, it seems that Emma is perfectly fine with it. And Bruce is in constant contact with his wife and their daughter. So it doesn't seem like it's anything weird. Apparently, there uh, many sources are saying that Emma, Demi, and Bruce all have a really friendly relationship with one another. There is no type of concern whatsoever with them or anything like that. And it just seems like the media is making more of a mountain out of a molehill at this point because nothing's really going on. They're just all trying to be safe, and it looks like everything's fine. There is no trouble in paradise between Bruce and Emma, and it does. And Bruce is not going to be getting back with Demi, so everybody needs to pretty much stop thinking that there's anything more than what's really happening. And that's just they're all just trying to be safe with one another and remain isolated with one another until this crisis has been averted, or at the very least until there's some sort of okay, you can go ahead and go back home type of situation. 
entertainment. In other entertainment news, I had the opportunity to go ahead and interview major media mogul Larry Namer. Larry is the co-founder of the E! Channel, E! Entertainment Television, and he basically told me about how he got started. He went from being an economics graduate with a with a degree in economics to becoming one of one of television's huge moguls in this an incredible channel that that has become popular, incredibly popular over the years. He also talked about a brand new project called Nova Vita that he is involved with. But before we get into that interview, here is Amanda Holly's Runaway, right here on The Xander Effect. I, 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 no, I don't give a damn. I, 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 you just screwed up, it's your chance. I'm on a new wave, and need to slow it down, but pump your brakes. I have media mogul and co-founder of e-television, Larry Namer, here today. Larry, how you doing? I'm doing well. You know, lock, lockdown in Encino. You know, I mean, it's it's a crazy situation that's going on around the world, and I know that it's affecting everybody, especially also in the entertainment industry. I would imagine. Yeah, it's um, just about all production is shut down now. And, um, you know, the stuff that we had going in in the U.S. and Europe is shut down. And we had a few series on TV in China that's now shut down. So it's just, you know, it'll be over when it's over. So there's nothing to do but sit and wait. And, 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 and do interviews. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that, that's the only cool part about technology is that you're able to actually do an interview and not be in the same room with one another. So that's always a good thing. And, you know, I'm glad that I'm able to have you here on the show because your story is very interesting, actually. You, you come you're, – you're not from Los Angeles. You're from Brooklyn. You're from the East Coast. And yeah. the way you started your life wasn't exactly in the entertainment industry. You have a degree in economics – and you went from economics to being a cable splicer. How, how did that happen? How did you go from one thing to something completely different? Yeah, well, I grew up in Brooklyn before Brooklyn became cool to live in. And, <laughs> uh, you know, now it's trendy to live in Brooklyn, but it wasn't so trendy back then. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, middle, middle class or lower middle class family. My father was a truck driver and my mom worked for the Department of Social Services. And uh, I was the first kid ever to go to college. And, you know, I went because literally I would be beaten if I didn't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I graduated with a degree in economics. And my plan was I was going to teach history and economics or both. Oh, wow. And the city of New York cut the budgets. Of course, there was a financial crisis, and they weren't going to hire any more teachers. So I took what I thought would be kind of a mindless summer job, mm-hmm. um, working um, for what then was, you know, uh, the very early days of cable TV. And, um, you know, I figured I would just do it for a little while until I figured out what I'll do in my degree. <clears throat> and they gave me a job as an assistant underground splicer in Manhattan, which meant, um, you know, I would go with the main splicer and we'd go down under the streets of New York through the manholes and um, we would put together the, the cables um, that, you know, would then be the cable system that uh, now exists as Manhattan Cable. So, uh, yeah, it was quite a journey. Wow, that's incredible. But, you know, during this whole time, you know, slowly but surely, you started getting into uh, into the media, the media version of of uh, cable splicing, really. I mean, it went from there to again to the media, because I know that uh, that Manhattan Cable was acquired by Time Inc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so from there, I mean, you know, you were there for several years. And you became vice chairman of the cable division of uh, of the Electrical Workers Union. Yeah, I started, you know, I was on the technical side and I was a, a union member. And I eventually rose to become the vice chairman of the division representing all the cable workers in uh, kind of the northeast of the U.S. And, um, you know, I think I was all of 23 years old then, which was kind of funny. Um, but uh, then, yeah, so timing brought the company in human resources became more sophisticated and you kind of had all the Harvard and Yale guys up on sixth Avenue, uh, trying to, you know, wondering what it is those guys do that go down in the sewers every day and put the cables together and all of that, you know? And, um, so, you know, one of the people in HR went and said, Hey, you know, we got this guy that's got an economics degree that works with them. You know, maybe he could become the translator. Um, so, you know, I, I found I had a very interesting role, you know, in that I was kind of the in-between between, you know, the Harvard Yaleys and the, uh, the tech guys. And eventually they asked me to go into management. So I left the union and I became, um, you know, over the years I was the head of, uh, service and installation. And then they had a construction, you know, and I eventually ended up being director of operations. Wow. And so all the all the technical departments reported to me. And, and all this from a summer job. <laughs> yeah, I think I was 25 and I had like 300 people reporting to me, which was just bizarre. Wow. And, uh, you know, and then I ended up getting, you know, as Time Inc. really began to realize that there's more uses for cable than just, you know, showing entertainment programming. Uh, they made me the head of corporate development, and I was responsible for uh, finding other uses of cable other than entertainment. So even, you know, it was pre-internet, we were doing data communications, remote medical diagnosis, all those things that are common on the internet today, we were doing literally 10 years before there was an internet. And uh, using the, you know, the spare cables that were under the city of New York to connect banks uptown with their computers downtown and on and on. And then, you know, the, the big cities began to realize that cable wasn't just something for rural communities to get good reception. They, they would look at Manhattan and see that it thrives in an urban environment. And um, so they started franchising cable and most of them didn't want cables to go on telephone poles, which most big cities don't have telephone poles anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, They wanted everything to go underground. So I was fortunate enough that, you know, I knew how to build underground cable systems. So I got recruited by a company that won the franchise in Los Angeles for the San Fernando Valley. Mm. And it was going to be the first 61 channel cable system, two-way interactive ever built, which 
although I didn't want to leave New York, it was an incredible opportunity for me. So I came out to LA and, you know, took over. And then I was, you know, I was 30 and maybe I was the general manager and they basically gave me a franchise from the city piece of paper and they gave me a loan from the bank piece of paper and they said, okay, now build us a cable system. Wow. And, uh, but- That's a lot know, of but, pressure for a 30 year old. Yeah, you know, and then I had finance reporting to me, programming for the first time reported to me. And that's where I really began to become interested in the programming side of the business. And we did a lot of interesting stuff at Valley Cable, as it was known. And we were actually named by, we won some Emmy Awards and Ace Awards. And we're actually named by Forbes magazine as the uh, national model for cable TV programming. So that, that's where I got the bug. And that's when you were, and that's, that's when you decided to uh, team up with uh, Alan uh, Rufka to begin to actually create a, an entertainment uh, channel yourselves. Yeah, it was, you know, the company that I worked for was a Canadian company mm -hmm. and they had sold and they moved back to Toronto. And, you know, I just said, listen, I didn't move from New York to LA to go to Toronto. I mean, I was starting to enjoy those beautiful, you know, winters with, you know, my t-shirt sitting out of the pool. <laughs> and um, so Alan and I, who's a friend from New Jersey, uh, you know, we just said, let's do something for ourselves. And we came up with the idea, you know, initially we called it movie time. It was like entertainment tonight, 24 hours a day mm -hmm. or MTV of the, of the movies. And we wrote a plan and we thought it was brilliant and people would read it and they'd say, this is a great idea, but you're not Rupert Murdoch or Ted Turner. You can't just wake up and start a TV network. Yeah. And Alan and I just were not smart enough, I guess, to listen to those people because we stuck with it for three and a half years before we got the first dollar invested. And Wow. And so it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't something from, from, you know, you just showed them something and just because you had experience in the industry they immediately they immediately uh gave you gave you the open you know the green light to start a network this actually took time well yeah it took three and a half years before they finally did it you know we found a bond street on wall street that um, had just opened an investment banking division and they uh they were looking for deals and we met with a guy and, you know, he's like all excited. He goes, oh, I was the entertainment reporter at my college and blah, blah, blah. And I love this. And he said, I could give you two and a half million dollars. And I said, well, but it costs 60 to 100 to start a TV network. And he goes, but I'm only allowed to sign for two and a half. And we <laughs> said, you know, we looked at each other and we said, you know what? Sure, let's do it. And, uh, you know, so he gave us two and a half million bucks. and we. Um, I called some friends that were teaching radio, television, film in Austin, Texas, University UT. And he sent us a bunch of interns and we started the company literally with two and a half million dollars, 11 employees and 31 interns. Wow. And then when it went on the air, everybody said, oh, why don't you tell us that's what you wanted to do? We would have given it 23 years ago. <laughs> of course, all of a sudden they, they, they started seeing the success of uh, the channel. That's when they, they were like, well, we didn't know that this is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and people ask me, they say, when did you know it was going to be successful? And, you know, the answer is from the first day we had the idea. You know, we just, it was so obvious to us that the world, not just the U.S., just loves this, you know, Hollywood gossip mm -hmm. and stars and celebs and, you know, all of that. We couldn't see any way that it could possibly fail. So the second we flipped that switch, we knew that we were, you know, onto something big. <clears throat> and, you know, now if you look at it, it's, you know, it's in 140 countries. It's huge. And, um, you know, it's arguably the, you know, it's the biggest influence. You know, people talk about influencers now. Well, there's no bigger pop culture influencer than he. And to be honest, I mean, and it's not, it's not, you know, I, I don't want to go ahead and be presumptuous, but in my opinion, I think that E kind of overshadowed uh entertainment tonight and uh and you know other shows uh, other shows such as extra because it would seem because e the e channel is exactly that it's a channel completely and utterly devoted to entertainment television and these are shows that are on a network that only shows a portion of entertainment so 
it would seem that that your idea was right on target to what people were very very much interested in because they would only get a taste you know with these with these uh with these shows but in on e-channel you get it 24 7 so this is actually this is a very brilliant idea of yours now my question is um, did you have any ideas prior to uh, E Entertainment, or was this the first and and most idea that you had? Well, it was the first one that I wanted to do for myself, you know. So, I mean, I had lots of ideas, but I did them for other people, and I made a lot of other people a lot of money. That was the first time that, you know, I said, you know what, I'm staying in California, and I'm doing this myself. Wow, great choice on that because I mean the the channel has become huge. Have you ever like? But do you ever? Do you still get uh, compared to like Entertainment Tonight? Do you still? Uh, I mean, was that happening when you first started? Oh yeah, you know everybody was going. Oh, what does what does anybody need a channel for? We have Entertainment Tonight. You know, we just looked at it and said, you know, the media world has changed, and if you really think about cable at that time. You know, everybody likened it to being it was an electronic newspaper. And you think about it, so CNN was the headlines and ESPN was the sports and Home Shopping Network was the ads. And we looked at it and said the second most read section of any newspaper is the entertainment pages. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly missing. So that's, you know, that's what kind of, you know, led us on to like, never giving up because we knew we were on to the right, uh, the right thing. So. But I mean, I mean, the other thing too is that you're also, in a sense, you're also a visionary because you tend to see a lot of things ahead of their time. I mean, at, you know, starting with e television, but you were also involved as being a consultant to Microsoft as well. And yeah. you know, you've had your. It seems like you've had, you know, your hand in a lot of a lot of things that were up and coming that back then, like, you know, now that we see it today, back then, we would have never imagined how big these things would have been. Like, how, how, I mean, how do you react to something like that? Like, you see something grow, you see something, and you're like, this is going to be big, but you don't imagine how big it's going to be, or do you already know? Um, well, you know, people ask me, how do you do that? And, uh, you know, it didn't come, we, we think of my mother might have dropped me on my head when I was a kid, because <laughs> my brain seems to function different than most people. But, I, I've kind of got instinct for, you know, I, I don't relish the past. I mean, I like looking at the past and learning from it, but I'm always thinking about, okay, how does whatever the new thing, how does it affect the future? You know, what what's things going to be like in 10 years, 20 years? And, you know, that's kind of always been the way I thought. So when you look at, you know, some stuff, I mean, I was the primary consultant to Microsoft for interactive TV back in the 90s, and, you know, now interactive TV has kind of become a little more of a reality. Uh, you know, you have digital networks now, and everything's on demand and stuff like that, you know, but we envisioned that stuff 25 years ago, and we did demos on it, and we did economic theories and all that stuff, and then, you know, I I saw that the communist wall and the Soviet Union were going to collapse, and I started a company in Russia back in the 90s. Um, and you know, we had, we were the biggest concert company there and we did over 300 concerts there and we had the biggest TV show in Russia for 10 years. And then I, um, I started really looking into China. So, you know, when I got into China 10 years ago, uh, it was interesting because our first show was called Hello Hollywood, which think of, you know, E E news but done, you know, with a Chinese host and for a Chinese audience. And, uh, you know, when I would talk to publicists who knew me, uh, you know, I'd say I need to get on the red carpet for the Academy Awards or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. They would go, ah, oh, Larry, you know, we really don't want to give up a spot on the red carpet. You know, we don't really care about China. You know, you, you cut to like seven years later and, you know, they'd be calling me up and going, oh, my God, China's now the biggest movie market in the world. They yeah. Cover our new premiere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we did see it very early. Um, and we were there. We planted our flag, so to speak. And, uh, you know, we're still there. We still do a lot of stuff in China. And it's because um, it gives us an opportunity to not just do a lot of programming, but they're much more advanced than us in terms of uh, 
cell phone use and e-commerce and stuff like that. So a lot of the theories that I worked on with Microsoft, which you couldn't deploy because the technological infrastructure wasn't there, mm-hmm. I found existed in China and I could go there and play with all the stuff that I've always dreamt about. Wow. That's, and, 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 and so far it's starting to grow. Unfortunately, with this crisis, it slowed things down a little bit, but China is definitely a, a country that many people, and I agree with you, many people are starting to uh, take a look at right now. Um, but I mean, obviously you, you got a lot of time, you know, to do so because shortly after you sold, uh, your shares to Comcast. So now, uh, Comcast owns, uh, you know, a significant amount of E. Um, so it gives you time for other projects as well. Yeah. I, yeah, I, they, you know, I think they, it's, they placed it under the NBC universal banner, um, and uh, yeah, so I, they run totally autonomously. I mean, I'm the figurehead founder and, you know, I, you know, so once you have a kid, it's always going to be your kid, no matter, you know, yeah. what they do or how badly they act. But they have to, but they have to grow on their own. They're, you know, there comes a yeah. point where you cut the cord. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it's given me the time, you know, like I, I, for me, it was time. People go, why did you sell it? You know? Uh, and stuff, and the answer is very simple: is I got bored. Um, it grew so big, and I found myself spending my day instead of being creative and coming up with new shows like Pop Soup and you know all that stuff. That I was spending my time in a boardroom doing budgets and analysis and all the stuff that I didn't want to do. So it was a great time for me to sell, and I got to go out on my own. And you know, like I said, we've done all Microsoft. I've done. Uh, you know, Russia for 10 years, I'm China, I was now my 10th year in China and stuff. So it's, um, it's been fun. I have no regrets that I ever sold it at all. So we talked about, we, I asked you, um, you know, about, or you mentioned, actually, I should say, you mentioned how things are changing. Things are always, are always changing in the entertainment industry. Streaming networks such as Hulu, such as Netflix, such as all these streaming networks are starting to grow. Do you see the television might be slowly but surely becoming obsolete, seeing as the spectrum is starting to change into more technological, uh, more technological era? Uh, you know, it's really it's a matter of semantics and definition. If I watch Netflix on my 65-inch TV at home, am I watching something different or am I watching TV? I mean, at the end of the day... It, the, the consumer doesn't care how the program gets to their house. Mm-hmm. It could come on an internet wire. It could come over the air. It could come cable. doesn't make a difference. It's storytelling. Mm-hmm. Is it good storytelling executed properly? So, you know, storytellers are, you know, the people who've done movies and TV now do Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and all that. Are, it's all the same. And we're, we're, we're content creators. We're storytellers. Mm-hmm. Whatever the platform is, that's great. Doesn't make a difference. The customer at home, you know, I think the cable business, you know, cable subscription goes down. But at the end of the day, it boils down to what we, you know, advised Microsoft, you know, way back. Um, that, you know, linear television, the way it's existed, will no longer exist that way. So instead of trying to fight it and maintain the old, um, just adapt to it and, you know, become, become the new. And uh, I always used to say, very simple thing, do you want to watch what NBC wants you to watch when they want you to watch it? Or do you want to watch what you want to watch whenever you want to want it? Want to watch it? And the answer is obvious. So, of course, linear television where you had to watch, you know, Thursday night NBC's lineup, those days are gone. You watch what you want to watch, mm-hmm. you want to watch it, and you watch it on whatever device you want to watch it on. So Very true. All, all the power has been given back to the consumer. Um, we, we saw it coming. We, we lauded it coming. We begged people to embrace it, not fight it. Some of them listened. Some of them didn't. Um, but, you know, like I say, it's a simple equation. Uh, you know, why do I want to watch 60 Minutes on Sunday night at 7 o'clock when I should be out, you know, having dinner with friends and I could watch 60 Minutes whenever I want? True. Very true. And, and I mean, f- but from an economic standpoint, do you think that these streaming networks are hurting, you know, regular mainstream channels? 
Well, I think anybody who's stuck to the linear TV formula is hurting. Um, again, why would I want to watch, you know, HBO at a given time when they show a movie where I could, you know, watch the on-demand version and watch the movie I want whenever I want? Um, so they, they become, you know, not so much networks as I would call storytellers or programmers. And, you know, for, for people like myself, we make stuff that really doesn't make a difference what platform it goes on as long as people have access to it and they can watch it when they want on whatever device they want. So, you know, from the producer's point of view, the world has never been better. True, true. And it's, and you know what, it's a beautiful thing because like you said, it does give the consumer the power back to basically, you know, be more free to do a lot more, you know, with their own personal lives instead of having to, <laughs> and I, and I want to go back for a second, you know, back in the day when you had to like put a tape in the VCR and, you know, tape it because you're afraid you're going to miss your episode. So now it's, it's like, okay, you don't have to miss anything. You have it right then and there. You can watch it whenever you want. So that's actually very, it was actually a really good idea to give uh, the consumer their power back. But a lot yeah. of these networks, they tend to use commercials in order to pay for 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 their for their uh networks and everything and and so i'm wondering if that's also going to maybe have a little bit of an impact if you know because a lot of these streaming networks they don't they don't do commercials they they have the option to not uh like for example hulu for an extra what two dollars six dollars a month something like that you have a commercial free um you know opportunity to watch all your shows so that's another thing that I'm wondering if that also hurts uh, uh, networks as well, because seen as there's, you know, commercials are the ones, sponsors are the ones that are helping these channels continue to thrive. So, it, you know, I'm wondering if that's also going to hurt them. Well, I, I think it hurt is not the right word. Change is the better word. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at the music business for 10 years, they resisted, you know, the digital world, you know, the iTunes and, uh, you know, all of that stuff. So instead of embracing the technology they brought it, now they embrace it. So the business has changed. So before they used to sell you, you know, an album for 20 bucks and on the album would be, you know, one or two good songs and eight bad songs. And, but you still got charged for the whole thing. Um, you know, and then they realized that, you know, pirates are going to figure out a way to steal it and they were no longer going to be able to get away with inferior products. So they had to adjust. They had to, embrace the iTunes of the world and you know then you've had a very robust and, and profitable music business arise once again so in the TV world so yes they've relied on advertising and look at the end of the day somebody's got to pay for the programming I mean I can make programming and give it to someone for nothing the network is going to have to pay me for it in some way they got to get back the money they either got to get it back from advertising because the program delivers eyeballs or through subscription so if you look at companies like, you know, Netflix, they've adapted the subscription model. And, you know, there's, uh, I don't even know what their numbers are now, you know, a billion people or a hundred some odd million people that are paying 14 bucks a month for it. You know, that's, you know, that's a heck of a lot of money. Um, uh, or you look at a Hulu, you know, which has said, you know, we'll do a hybrid model. You could watch it without commercials, you know, for, for this amount of monthly, or you could watch it, you know, with commercials and we'll then get the money from advertising. So, you know, I think people are still playing with the model. I, I love the hybrid model is give me the choice. I can watch it with advertising and get it for free or watch it with no advertising and pay for it. But let the consumer decide which way they want it. Do you think that uh, these networks are starting to follow suit? Like, because, for example, when Hulu and, all, you know, Netflix, all these other streaming sites started happening, suddenly you have the CBS network, HBO, Comedy Central, FX. You have all these networks starting to have their own streaming sites. Do you think that E! might actually also follow suit in that as well? Absolutely. I think everybody's got to follow it because at the end of the day, Fixed position programming is, does not hold up under any economic model. You know, people are weaning themselves off of that the way they used to watch TV, and everybody is finding you know the new way. And again, the technology that gets it to your 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 device, whatever your device is, is irrelevant to the consumer. It's the quality of the content. 
Wow. Well, I mean, so so in other words, we eventually we will be seeing an e uh, streaming site. I'm sure. Well, you look at e online. You know, so e online was one of the first TV networks ever to really build a robust online business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's who wants to sit through an hour of programming that I don't really care about to get to you know. 10 minutes of programming that I do care about. So I think everything becomes on demand. Uh, I think that, you know, somebody will develop smart agents where literally people will be able to comb the world of content that's out there and it's huge now, it's, you can't keep track of it. And literally every single person on the planet will build a TV network of their own liking. Very true. And that's, and, and you know what? I mean, more power to them, more power to every single one of them to go ahead and continue to try to, um, you know, grow this, this, this trend that's actually growing in astronomical numbers, actually, especially right now, since everybody's at home, I'm sure that they're starting to see the value of, of streaming sites just go up like crazy. I mean, from what I understand, Disney Plus has gotten so many viewers and so many subscriptions that it's just, it's insane, especially with the kids that are staying at home. Parents are buying Disney Plus like crazy because they want to entertain their kids because there's no school. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. But speaking of, you know, uh, new shows, speaking of production, you're involved in a brand new uh, crime drama called Nova Vida. Uh, what's, what's that about? It's, uh, you know, I don't want to give away too much. Um, we just announced it. Um, it was a show. I'm, I'm one of the executive producers. I'm not sole. Uh, but um, it, it's a really nice, you know, futuristic kind of, you know, or scientific crime drama, um, the, you know, where somebody takes on a new identity to stop from, you know, going to jail for a Bitcoin fraud or something like that. And uh, uh, originally we were not going to take it out until summer, but we shot it. We financed it internally. So we didn't have to go out to a network and ask them to pay for it. Um, and, uh, and plus creatively, we knew what we wanted to do. So we, uh, you know, we didn't want anybody interfering with what our vision for the program was. And um, so we shot it. We were taking our time editing it, but now with this, um, pandemic and the quarantine, uh, you know, all these digital networks are wondering where their next new show is going to come from Mm -hmm. Uh, because your, you know, production is at a halt. So we said, you know what, let's finish up the the post-production on this really quick and get it out into the market when there's an incredible demand for, you know, any new series. And this one is, it's 10 parts in season one. And the, and the good thing is that it's already been filmed, actually. It was filmed before the, the, the shutdown began. Yep. It's already filmed. It's already edited. And literally, you know, a Netflix or an Amazon or anybody can, you know, license it from us and it could be on the air next week if they want it. Wow. Wow. This is incredible. But the really cool part is that this series talks about uh, cryptocurrency billionaires uh, who turned to revolutionary company Nova Vita. Yep. Um, so, but what's really cool is that you guys included the cryptocurrency. Not many shows talk about that specifically. So that's actually very interesting that these, these guys, uh, in, you know, in, um, they, they included that into the series. Yeah. Well, you know, again, it goes with, you know, our thinking of, you know, some certain things are inevitable, you know, Governments and countries can fight against crypto all they want, but at the end of the day, it makes all the sense in the world. This is going to be an interesting, interesting show to watch. I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that it comes out soon. But other than other than uh, Nova Vita, are there any other projects that you're involved in right now? Sure, I'm doing a show. Uh, well, again, you know, ever <laughs> we've kind of halted production, so anything yeah. in production is sitting there, but. We were doing a show um, in China called Explore China, uh, which is kind of a, uh, kind of my take on looking at China, not so much from the historical perspective, but more the pop culture, you know, the music, the fashion, the food, the wine, you know, nightlife, you know, what, what young people are doing there. More like an Anthony Bourdain take on this, but skewed younger, 
and um, the host is a guy named Hal Sparks. Hal was one of the hosts of- Hal Sparks. Yes, I know Hal. I met Hal many years ago uh, at a party for his friend Chris Jericho for the AEW wrestler Chris Jericho. Yep. And so Hal is the host. So it's a 24-hour nice. series and 20 half hours. And it, we've shot 13 already and it's, you know, in post-production. And uh, that's geared to go to, you know, the target would be an Amazon, like, or Netflix, so one of the digital networks. And, um, and so we're in the middle of that. We're shooting a series for China called Explore the World. And we just finished shooting in Croatia. So that show has a Chinese host. And we do that show in Mandarin. Wow. And uh, then I'm doing working on another show with a guy named Michael Benaroya. Uh, from Benaroya Films uh, called Lookbook, which is um, a, uh, you know, throwback to the old nighttime dramas, you know, Dallas Dynasty, Falcon Crest. It's about a New York fashion family that, uh, you know, of course the kids all fight for who's going to take over when daddy dies and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But that's a fun one because that one really blends a lot of e-commerce into the show. So it's not just product placement. I mean, but it's all about the fashion industry. So that's going to be an interesting one. And um, actually, the, 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 the storylines are written. Um, one of the greatest shows on TV in the longest time, I think, on Netflix is Ozark. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ozark's a great the, show. It's a fabulous show. And uh, so one of the writers from that show has actually written the, uh, the story for this show. And, wow. Um, you know, so those are the main things I'm involved in. So... I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously right now with the crisis that's going on and every production at a halt, well, pretty much the world at a, at a standstill right now, I'm sure that you probably have already started uh, play, playing with ideas of how to incorporate, you know, this crisis in a new series, probably. Yeah, um, started doing that. And, you know, the other thing that's kind of popped up for me because I, I, I'm, I'm this weird blend between, you know, a Hollywood creative and an economist and, you know, a technologist or, you know, whatever, a futurist. And um, I'm getting a lot of groups, non-media groups that are actually calling me and asking if I would consult with them on how they could use media and technology to help jumpstart, you know, what hopefully is the new normal. Um, you know, like people in the fashion business, you know, we used to have fashion weeks and everybody would go to Milan or London or Paris or New York and the buyers and the designers would meet, and, you know, all that. Well, those days are not coming back so quickly. So how does the fashion world relate to the world of buyers? How does the, the world of retail relate to the consumers and stuff? So I'm finding people from all kinds of things, from organizations to brands that are coming to me and asking of me if I would consult with them on, you know, what this new world may look like and how they could benefit from it, which is kind of fun for me because I get to learn new stuff. No, without a doubt. And right now it seems that because uh, Mayor uh, Garcetti here in Los Angeles basically made it clear that uh, any large gatherings such as concerts or, or uh, sports, sporting events were going to be canceled until 2021. So, you know, that more than likely, obviously, it includes uh, Fashion Week and things like that. I know that you're involved a little bit in, the, in, in, in fashion. Uh, so my question here is because you have, you have concerts uh, such as Burning Man that are considering doing a virtual concert. You have Coachella that it also did kind of like a documentary, a free documentary on YouTube recently. So I'm wondering, would the fashion industry also be considering doing a virtual fashion week? I think, yeah, I think they, they have no choice. They got to, they got to do it. But first you got to start, you got to really look at the food chain in any industry and realize how it works. So step one in the fashion industry is for designers to um, really present their, new stuff, their new lines uh, to buyers. So it's not to the consumer, but it's the, you know, the 200,000 or so buyers around the world that used to go to fashion weeks. And, you know, there are a lot of interesting things there because, you know, fashion is something that people want to touch. You have different materials. And so, you know, there, there's an interesting challenge there. 
And then once you kind of figure out how to do that, then you got to figure out how you then take that and get the consumers excited, you know, for the products that are going to come. So it's well, going to be, nobody knows the answer. It's going to be interesting trying to find those answers. I mean, right now at this point, it would seem that now, I mean, aside from this being a horrible, horrible uh, event in human history, it also is an opportunity for many people to become more creative and figure out creative ways to market themselves even. Yeah, I, you know, I believe that, you know, I mean, this is horrible what's going on, but, um, you know, I think crisis uh, is a catalyst for innovation. Agreed. People have to think of new ways of doing stuff. You know, the, if this if this is not a wake up call for you know the movie business, um, you know where before they resisted saying you know a movie has to open in a movie theater, and now I think they've seen that you know what you could actually open the movie movie simultaneously between the theater and uh, and and a Netflix kind of service, and economically you're going to be doing as good if not better. True, true. And right now it seems that uh, everybody's doing exactly that, especially with TikTok. Um, TikTok is starting to actually like grow. And from what I understand, um, the executive producer for, for my show, for the Xander Effect, he had actually mentioned to me a long time ago, he said, man, TikTok has been, because he's in Japan, he's in that part of the world. And he actually said, well, you know, TikTok has been here for the longest time. America's barely getting uh, TikTok, but yeah. we've had it here for a long time now. Well, it's, it started in China. It's a Chinese company behind it. And um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, technology stuff is, uh, you know, it's, it's more prevalent on that part of the world than it is here um, because they've kind of jumped over technologies there. You know, uh, uh, they never really had a, uh, you know, a big landline phone system the way we had it. Yeah, and it took years and years for people to realize that, you know, with cell technology, you don't need a, a phone line in your house anymore. And um, so the all kinds of innovative services. I mean, when I started in China, which was just 10 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, there was no such thing as checks. Nobody had a check. Very wow. rare did you find someone with a bank account. Wow. And then, you know, it became like credit cards. You know, nobody had a credit card. Then everybody had a credit card. Now, when I go to China, I mean... I can't find a store that'll take cash. Forget cash. That ain't happening. <laughs> but a lot of them don't, won't even take credit cards anymore because wow. everything is done through your cell phone. So the, every person I know in China, you know, has got, you know, Alipay or, you know, one of the, the digital currency uh, services on and everything's done on a telephone and it's much more efficient. That's incredible. That's, that's, that's very incredible. Well, I mean, you know, times are changing. Everything's changing. What advice would you give to people trying to get into this industry, especially right now? Uh, for example, writers. What would you? What advice would you give writers that have uh, new television concepts, new scripts, things like that? Especially in this world that's changing so much. What, what advice would you give them in order to get their their uh, their potential brand new show out there? Well, I think you got to think. You know, when I got involved in the business you know, way back. Um, and we used to do like a plan for a new show or anything. We used to think of it like we would wait at 95% US and 5% other. You know, the, the rest of the world was only 5%, but the US was 95% of the financial equation. Now it's 30% US, 70% being broken up between China, between Russia, Germany, UK, etc. So when you're devising a new product, you got to think beyond how this is going to work just as a U.S. TV show or film and really think, how is this going to play globally? I mean, net, you know, you want to go to Netflix and, you know, you got to show that it's going to be very U.S. centric and not play well in India or any place else Netflix is. You're going to have a hard time selling it to them because they have a global audience. Very true. That's, that's the way all of these guys are going. So you got to think, uh, you got to think globally. You got to think what's going to make my project stand out and have appeal to a global audience as opposed to a U.S. central centric audience, and um, you know, and then you know, you really need to start thinking about the way people watch TV now and binge watching, and you know how you have, you know, 
different endings for the, you know, your shows and all that kind of stuff. And then you got to blend in, you know, e-commerce and the, you know, the other things, part of the equation. Agreed. Agreed. That's actually really good advice. That's very, very intelligent advice right there. So how can people go ahead and stalk you on social media, Larry? Um, I, I, I actually do my Facebook myself. So that's the best, you know, if somebody really wants to talk to me, you know, that I typically will respond to most, if it's not an openly, here's my script, please read it, uh, <laughs> which I just don't have the time to, to do. Not uh, even in this crisis. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have, you know, other stuff going, you know, uh, and, and I'm, I've been digital for the longest time. So, you know, I talk to our China office and two o'clock in the morning and, and do all of that stuff. So, you know, my, my Facebook is probably the best way. Um, you know, we do have Instagram and all that, but quite, you know, I'll be perfectly honest. Those are done by people from the office. They, you know, they're not really done by me. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Larry, thank you so much for your time. I mean, you know, I know you're a busy man. I could stay here and talk to you for a lot longer because you have so much knowledge and so much insight to the world of entertainment. It would be great to continue on, but I know that you're a very busy man. So thank you so much, Larry Namer, for being on the Xander Effect. I hope that like, I would love to have you on again uh, as soon as, uh, you know, the industry starts, starts picking back up again. Sure. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And we'll talk soon. Take care. All right. Thank you so much, Larry Namer, for being on The Xander Effect. It was an honor and privilege to have you on the show. In sports news, looks like the NBA players are going to be receiving 25% less in paychecks starting May 15th due to the current crisis that's going on. According to Adrian uh, Wichnarowski from ESPN, the plan would serve as something of a new escrow account that would return money to the players should all the remaining regular season games be played in a resumption of the season. Otherwise, teams would keep a percentage of the money based on the cancellation of games. The NBA and NBPA will spread out the salary deductions into the first four pay periods through November and December of 2020 through 2021 season, sources said. And this is all according, this is uh, uh, from uh, a quote from ESPN.com's uh, senior NBA insider, Adrian Wojnarowski. So basically what's going to end up happening is because of the current crisis, it would appear that the NBA will be doing some cuts, which again, it's it does, it's, you know, it, it uh, makes a lot of sense seeing as that the season is pretty much canceled this year due to the current crisis and they have to go ahead and make up the difference. No players are playing. So, you know, and nobody's coming in to uh, pay for any tickets. So they had to go ahead and make these type of cutbacks. Another in other sports news, another organization that has not only decided to do a few cutbacks, but has also released uh, certain, uh, certain um, uh, uh, people from their roster has been the WWE. Apparently, uh, the WWE is is um, laying off a lot of people and also releasing a lot of superstars, including Kurt Angle, Zack Ryder, Rusev, Drake Maverick, Kurt Hawkins, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, Heath Slater, Eric Young, Rowan, Sarah Logan, No Way Jose, Mike Kanellis, and his wife Maria Kanellis, EC3, Leo Rush, Primo, and Epico. So these are all uh, these are all the the superstars that have been released so far. According to some rumors, it would seem that the WWE might be releasing more stars from their rosters in order to be to to uh, be able to make ends meet right now. See, the WWE is really going through a lot of financial uh, situations. Not to mention they decided to cut back on doing live events and start airing pre-recorded events. Uh, again 
uh, because there were they used to do that actually uh, a few years back. And amongst all these other issues that have been going on financially, obviously we know that the WWE filed uh, for Chapter 11 bankruptcy after the XFL went under again. So there's a lot of issues going on with Vince McMahon and the WWE uh, that have been affected due to the coronavirus right now. So it's, it's unfortunate that these things are happening, but they, you know, like everything else, uh, they're going to have to adapt to uh, the certain things that are going on with, of course, you know, not having any fans in the stands, no ticket sales, none of that. A lot of sport, a lot of sporting organizations are suffering. There's talks of the NFL having to play their regular season games without any fans. So, there's still a lot of issues that need to be dealt with, and uh, this 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 uh, crisis doesn't seem to be letting up anytime soon. So we'll see what happens in the coming months. Up next in video game news, Call of Duty is doing a uh, part two of Double XP Weekend, and I'm assuming it's due to the fact of the matter of what happened last week. So I'll talk a little bit about that. But first, here is Ian Garen's Forever Rose right here on the Xander Effect.
That was Ian Garen's Forever Rose right here on the Xander Effect. In video game news, looks like um, Infinity Wars game Call of Duty Modern Warfare has decided to do a do-over this weekend as far as Double XP Weekend is concerned. Obviously, a lot of players got a little upset last weekend. I'm one of them that uh, they had the double XP going and you know right before right before the new update came out personally I wanted to go ahead and get some of uh, some of this stuff going because I wanted to complete the battle pass from season two but I didn't get a chance to because there was a lot of uh, a lot of disconnects that were happening with the game um, I wasn't able to connect to anything there was a lot of uh, a lot of issues that were going on, technical difficulties that were going on with the uh, with the game. That I even went ahead and I tweeted uh, to uh, to modern to modern warfare uh, Twitter, and no response back from Infinity Ward. Nothing, which I'm still a little upset about because you would think that they would try to at least rectify the situation, but they didn't. So I guess this is their way of making up for it double xp weekend let's hope that it runs smoothly this time around not like last weekend and uh, they have they're offering the double xp weekend from now until the 20th of april so call of duty uh players make sure you take advantage of this Otherwise, you'll be kicking yourselves in the pants for not taking advantage of Double XP Weekend given by Call of Duty Modern Warfare. That's the news. In case you haven't heard it, thank you so much for listening. Be safe out there. Remember, practice you know uh, proper hygiene. Stay safe. Don't go out unless absolutely positively necessary. And if you do go out, make sure you wear a mask. Make sure you wear goggles if you got them. Latex gloves. Remember to keep yourself safe because we're still in this together but this too shall pass i guarantee you that i'll catch you next time on the xander effect and remember music always always heals all live it up be taylor flow rider live it up The Xander Effect is powered by 5050 Global Music Inc., BMG, and Sony Music The Orchard in association with Art19 Media.